0: In this episode we talk about mature topics like sex, sexuality, mental health and suicidal ideation. So please listen at your own discretion.
1: I think that the evangelical church doesn't understand the impact of teaching such harmful and and negative views of sex because it's not just about sex, it's not just about the act of having sex. What we believe about sexuality actually informs so many other parts of you know, where we see our place in the world.
0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie
2: and Gary Ellen,
0: and this is Holy Heretics. Today, we have the privilege of chatting with Blair, or if you might know her better, as Talk Purity to Me on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, She is a content creator and a purity culture dropout from the South, which is saying something. Uh, And she loves seeing people free from shame. And she's doing amazing work calling out toxic theology and how people have been harmed by this. And she's doing it all in her free time. But she's also really humble about it. When I asked her to send me a bio, she sent me one single line uh, because she's really more concerned with helping people than just like creating a name and a brand for herself. So we are super excited to have her here today. Welcome, Blair. Thank you for being here with us.
1: Thanks so much. That was a really nice intro. I appreciate
2: it. <laughs> so Blair, we are both from South Carolina, so we hopefully maybe you're having some shrimp and grits right now as we're doing this podcast. I don't know. But, well, as a
1: vegetarian, know. I'm going to pass on the shrimp, but okay, I, but I you could have the grit. grits.
2: <laughs> yeah, see, I knew there was, I knew it was there somewhere. It's like uh, the first thing you eat out of your mother's womb, I think. So, but hey, I want to start by just talking about what makes you so passionate about speaking out about the harms and pitfalls of purity culture. Um, and, and, you know, really what led you to create the platform. So, um, what is your experience with purity culture and why has it led you to be so passionate about standing up against it?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I grew up, you know, in the throes of purity culture, I'm 30 years old. So in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, kind of through high school, uh, that was, you know, prime time in my youth group days. And there was a lot of purity culture messaging all around me. Um, and so I really just latched onto that very, um, very intensely. And it was all these messages about, you know, if you do X, Y, Z, then you'll please God. And I would really wanted to please God. And so I, you know, did the things I was supposed to do, and I didn't do the things I wasn't supposed to do. You know, I didn't date or kiss or, you know, certainly wasn't having sex um, at all, you know, no kind of sexual relationship at all. So I, you know, I was totally sold out to the whole idea, all of purity culture. I was very much on board with it. And then I, you know, I got a little older into my college years and I just realized um, I had some really severe mental health sort of problems related to purity culture and how it taught me to relate to my sexuality and my body. And, um, it, it just sort of started unraveling. I, w- I was, I was very sick, you know, I was not doing well. And, uh, so after, you know, all these years of all this purity culture messaging, I just realized how unwell I was and, you know, it sort of started all unraveling and, um, slowly i had to build myself back up out of this really toxic theology
0: so it sounds like you took the pledge perhaps did you kiss dating goodbye
1: uh definitely most definitely i did not date or you know i didn't even want it to seem like i was really interested in guys i was very much not not trying to look like i was even close to dating
0: And, uh, how'd that go? Are you, are you glad you did that? Like, what are your thoughts on it now on the other side?
1: Well, you know, um, it's so hard to say what, what could have been different and how that would, you know, what that would look like now or what that would have meant for my life. Um, I, I would not say that I'm glad I did it because it really did hurt me so badly. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, I I wouldn't say that I was glad that I experienced purity culture in such an intense way and that it was like so pushed on me.
0: So like, do you look back and go like, I wish I would have experienced dating relationships or or some sort of like romantic anything um rather than like thinking the opposite sex was you know the devil or like cuz I know some people are like you know I don't like the messages from purity culture but I am glad that I didn't get caught up in all that junk and then some people are like no I I feel deprived so so how do you feel about that
1: I for me you know I think that it's one thing if you felt that maybe purity culture saved you from sexual relationships when you may not have been interested in them or, you know, saved you from getting pregnant at a young age. Like I get all that. And there's, you know, obvious, um, outcomes of, you know, purity culture that maybe do seem like a positive to some people. But for me, the, Potential positives don't even come close to, you know, making up for all of the negatives that I experienced Mm. in purity culture. So no, I would, I would, I've, you know, said this before, I would never have chosen purity culture. I never would have like entered into it in any kind of um, consenting way. Like if I had understood, you know, anything about sexuality, then Mm -hmm. I I don't think that I would have chosen purity culture um, had it not been for these outside influences and outside forces that were making it seem like that was the only right way to live.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, you just said a word that that I think is really critical to this conversation. It's consent. And none of us consented to allowing our parents or our pastors or the entire evangelical world to force this um, conversation on us. And in a way, I mean, that there there was a little bit of sexual violence perpetrated against us by saying, as you just said, this is the only way. This is the only way to think about sex. It's the only way to think about your body. And it's the only way to think about your feelings is to you know receive this and take this on and you know it's such a disservice so i'm really glad you used that word um because i think there's a whole conversation around did any of us even consent to being bombarded by this and most of us didn't um but i want to i want to ask a question because i think a lot of uh, purity culture makes um one it you know it's set on kind of don't do this don't do that but it also um correspondingly has a ton of promises Um, that it did not fulfill. So what was maybe one of the wildest things that you believed or was promised to you about sex or sexuality um, thanks to that entire purity culture uh, conversation?
1: I, you know, when when you're in purity culture, you're really taught um, that if you just abstain and just keep abstaining and you don't even think about sex and you don't even let your mind go to these impure places, um, then your sex life and your marriage is going to be amazing. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's telling 12, 13, 14-year-old kids who you refuse to offer any sex ed to that this concept they don't even understand Will be amazing if they just don't have sex. So <laughs> there's a lot of layers of this. It's like you tell kids that don't know what sex is that sex will be amazing if they don't have it now. And, you know, I, I didn't coin this term, but it's kind of like a sexual prosperity gospel in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, just wait, 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 wait. And then boom, on your wedding night with zero experience or knowledge, sex is going to be. Incredible. And that's not how anything else in life works. Like most people aren't very good at something or comfortable with something the first time they experience it. Mm. Um, so, you know, when people get to that wedding night and the sex isn't amazing, or there's something, you know, physiological going on that makes sex painful, or they're just not into it, or they can't, you know, seem to make it work. It's a huge mental burden on a lot of people. Mm
0: -hmm. So you you've alluded to this with us when we were talking to you at another time. But I think this I think it's critical to talk about how these beliefs impacted your faith, Um, because uh, I know too many people who literally will have nothing to do with god or jesus or the bible or or religion whatsoever um because of re- like recognizing how much purity culture harmed them like that is the one thing that they're like nope this this damaged me so much and and i th- and i'm not saying like those people need to now have faith or anything like that but what i am saying is like the evangelical world has not recognized like this is like they're doubling down on it despite like people saying like this is what pushed me away so I'm curious how it impacted your faith and where you stand today
1: yeah um it's it's somewhat hard for me to separate out purity culture from my faith like because it it was something that was so pushed on me as just another tenet of christianity like a pillar of my faith so mm. i don't i i can't separate it from the rest of my faith um so you know once i started to realize like oh my body isn't bad oh you know when i have a cold God isn't punishing me for sin in my life. Like, no, this is like, yeah, like, I know that sounds, it sounds bananas, but I was a part of a little weird group of people that believed th- these things that, you know, like any anything that's going, any malady really in your body is like a direct result of sin. And if you had a pain that was, you know, God's, you know, You allowed demonic forces into your life and like that opened a doorway for pain and you know ill health. Mm -hmm. Um and that included anxiety and fear. Um I literally thought that my anxiety and fear, which definitely relates to purity culture, was a result of my own sin. And um I can't I can't separate it out for myself. And I think that the evangelical church doesn't understand the impact of teaching such harmful and and negative views of sex, because it's not just about sex. It's not just about the act of having sex. What we believe about sexuality actually informs so many other parts of, you know, where we see our place in the world. Mm. Um, so teaching people these negative ideas about sex is not just about what you do on your wedding night or whatever the case may be. It's, it's about how people understand themselves and how they relate to others and how they, you know, relate to their body. And so it's way more than just sex. And I think that's why it's so hard for people who have been so hurt by purity culture to want to have any part of the church Mm. again, because Mm. it, it was never just about sex. It was about control and teaching people that they weren't good.
0: Mm. Mm. You mentioned like that something uh, helped you to like see, see sexuality and sex from a different perspective. Was it like one big thing where you you had like an aha moment or was it like, a slow realization as you're like, wait a second, like, what made you start questioning that?
1: I think I just really started to realize that, um, you know, my body is not my enemy, because I really, I had such a distorted view of my body as being like this sinful thing. Mm. Um, and I really and my emotions too. And so like, there was all these parts of myself that I didn't trust hmm. that I had to learn to trust. Um, and that was a very slow process for me um, because, you know, for me, and I know this is not that way this way for everybody, but the idea of God was someone who was punishing me for bad things. And the love that I was being told was, you know, genuine and this is what love is actually was punishment from God and I was being told that like all of these things I was experiencing was because I didn't have enough faith or love for God. So love and punishment in in my experience of Christianity was the same thing. Mm. So I had to I had to convince myself that, you know, This emotional abuse wasn't actually ever love, and that I could actually try to discover what it meant to love others and love myself. Um, And that was a very slow process, but yeah, that was what really, you know, over time I began to trust myself again and feel comfortable in my body and not feel like I, you know, hated myself or wanted to just. And my life.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about that whole issue of mental health and in particular how purity culture damages um, our view of ourselves, our love of ourselves, and even um, just this this whole embodied um, aspect of being human. Um, I've been doing some uh, counseling with someone about, you know, being more embodied, and it was interesting. Uh, we participated in in a group counseling session, and what was fascinating is there, there was about five of us there that had uh, all kind of shared this counselor, and she asked us to participate in this. And so there were uh, two of us who had grown up in the church and grown up in purity culture, and then there were uh, a few others that you know had never grown up in the church and had never participated in purity culture. And one of the exercises we did was to get in touch with our bodies. And so she would bring up, she would bring up something and ask, you know, what do you feel right now in your body and where do you feel it? And everybody who did not grow up in purity culture could, could name exactly what they were feeling and where they were feeling it. And me and this Hmm. other guy, we, we, we weren't feeling anything. We didn't know what we were feeling. And we certainly couldn't say, oh, I feel this in my heart or I feel this in my stomach. And it, it just, it. I I know I'm going to make a, you know, a huge leap here, but it does really feel like that we were taught to disassociate from our bodies completely in purity culture. Um, Can can you talk a little bit about that, Blair, as it relates? I know you mentioned it uh, just a second ago, but maybe other ways in which purity culture impacted your own mental health, uh, either the way you saw yourself or just this embodied existence that all of us are, are a part of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, I think w- some of the best ways I can kind of explain how purity culture affected my own embodiment. And, you know, my mind body connection is kind of um, some stories of things that happened to me. Like, um, I remember the first time I ever held hands with a guy, I was 18 years old. And um this is not like confirmed. I never talked to like a therapist, but I'm pretty sure I had a panic attack after it
2: Mm.
1: because I was just so overwhelmed by like feeling sinful. Like I had cheated on my future spouse and it was literally just holding hands. If that gives any perspective to how uncomfortable I was with like physical touch or anything that um, Mm. felt even remotely like Romantic. I wouldn't even say that's sexual. That you know, I don't feel that holding hands is sexual. But you know, back then it was such an overwhelming thing for me that I I was so distraught and I cried for days. And and that might sound really silly to somebody, but I was taught that that was like cheating on an imaginary person who I didn't even (laughs) know. Um, So yeah, it was a very I would say. traumatic experience for me um and you know i I, back then i was like this is you know i I just have to be more careful but to anyone listening like that is not a normal response (laughs) right that is that is not you know in the realm of like a healthy response you know if you experienced it that way there's a reason for that but you don't have to experience that you know withholding hands
0: or any kind of physical touch like well and that's not going to go away just because you now said I do <laughs> like you so many people are like you mentioned like that sexual prosperity gospel like I will I'll be fine once I'm married and it's like no 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 <laughs> yeah,
2: it's not that's a, not gonna it's just not a go switch away. you just flick right yeah. like it's it's embedded um yeah it's crazy yeah.
1: and I talk to people you know they're They did everything right. They were both virgins when they, you know, got married and 10 years and two kids later, they still really struggle Hmm. with the sexual aspect of their relationship. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be that way for Christians. And it doesn't have to be that way for non-Christians. I think that's like one of my biggest things is like, Christians shouldn't experience this either. Like, it's not that you chose this faith, so now you have to suffer. (laughs) You don't have to experience such an unhealthy sexuality. It's it's okay to want to be healthy and still want to hold on to your faith.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Were there any other ways that your mental health really suffered as a result of these teachings?
1: Yeah, I mean, I really really struggled with, um, you know, trying to reconcile the fact that I did have sexual thoughts and that those, you know, I was being told those were bad, but I, I couldn't stop them. And I, you know, because of purity culture, especially and then so many negative things I was taught about my body. I mean, I definitely had considered killing myself, honestly. I mean, I know that sounds really extreme, but I didn't know how to go on. I didn't feel like I could go on um, because I just hated myself so much. And I hated feeling like I wasn't pleasing God.
0: Hmm. Hmm. How did, if if I'm not prying too much, what what got you out of that? that feeling of like uh, everything about me is terrible and I don't want to live anymore.
1: It, it really took many years. Um, this is probably over like, mainly over like a probably six or seven year period, even in the last like couple of years, some of this has been like healing, you know, some of these parts of what I went through. Um, but I, I honestly had to stop uh, stop going to church because it was very, like, re-traumatizing for me. Um, I had to start to build a, you know, circle of people who <laughs> didn't have these same harmful beliefs that, like, we would constantly reinforce for each other. You know, I had to make friends outside of the church. Um, and, you know, in doing that, they, these people outside of the church really supported me and, like, made me feel loved in a in a way that I felt was sincere, because I don't really feel that I found a lot of sincere love in the church. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like there was a lot of trauma bonding between a lot of us in the church, but mm-hmm. I don't know that that's really uh, was a very sincere, like, caring relationship. So, I, you know, I made a lot of friends outside of the church. Um, who talked about themselves in positive ways, and then I thought to you know, maybe I can do that, like maybe I can you know think I deserve good things and then like pursue those, and I don't have to constantly think I'm terrible and you know, not deserving of love and like good things in my life, even when I like quote mess up or mm. something like that, you know, I had to see other people living their lives in more like healthy whole ways. And then that started like inspiring me to want to do that too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we recently chatted with um, Sheila Gregoire who wrote the book, the great sex rescue. And she talks a lot in there about how like the message that lust is anytime you look at someone and notice that they're attractive is mm-hmm. actually like that message is so damaging because it makes us think like, every thought is basically bad. Uh, And I I can see like, even, even as a young woman, um, I, I had sexual thoughts as well because I was a normal, healthy, young teenager. (laughs) And uh, it it made me, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying because it made me think like, there's something wrong with me that I can't stop noticing boys. Um, And it's like, no, actually, that's normal and healthy and fine. I mean, and it would have been normal and healthy and fine had it been noticing people of the same gender or, you know, whatever. But for me, it was boys. And I just felt so dirty and wrong for that. Um, and and I, I feel like I've seen so many people in your shoes of like, well, I'm broken. Um, and the immense damage that it's doing to young people. I mean, it keeps us so focused on, like, don't have these thoughts that we never, like, have the time to have positive thoughts about anything.
2: Mm, That's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't know how to um, say anything nice about myself. Uh, I didn't really know how to, like, care about what happened to me. I know that sounds really weird. I I just sort of felt like the the things that were happening to me were probably my fault. And Hmm. I I didn't know how to advocate for myself in a lot of ways um, and want the best for myself. You know, Hmm. I could do that for other people. um, But I couldn't do it for myself Hmm. for a really long time.
2: Well, I think it's interesting, too, that something you just said, Mel, is, you know, all of us, when we hit puberty and maybe even before, began to have these um, emotions, these feelings, our sexuality was waking up. And it is a very normal, um, important thing that happens to every human being that at some point, you know, in their maturity all of th- all of a sudden they start to blossom sexually and instead of telling all of us you know what these these feelings and what you're you're experiencing is not only normal uh it's healthy we were told to then judge them and we were told that they were only to be judged as bad and negative and must be pushed away or squashed down and seen as as you know as bad and so I, I just think that, that that speaks to a larger conversation in evangelicalism as a whole, that it does feel like the entire movement put everything on a continuum of good or bad, right or wrong, uh, black or white. And so it's no wonder that our sexuality was also put on that continuum. And so there's, there was no gray area or no, no room in the middle to go, hey, you know what? This isn't good or bad. It's just freaking normal that you're having these experiences. But in, in, but we were told that we had to judge them. And of course, we were judging them as negative. And then if I kept feeling them, well, then I was bad for continuing to feel them. And that's just so unhealthy uh, on so many different levels, you know?
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I although I am not a Christian anymore, I there are parts of my brain that I feel like are probably you know, hardwired in these binary evangelical sort of patterns Mm -hmm. for life. Like, I don't know if I will ever be able to change those. And that is okay, because I had no other choice. Um, I didn't choose this. But now, you know, I get to try, you know, try to create better patterns for myself and not, you know, perpetuate the harm that those types of thinking may cause. But, you know, I was so young. It really just, it changes your, it changes your brain. And then like the way you relate to others and the way you relate to yourself, it just, it changes you.
2: Yeah, it it totally does. Yeah. Well, and it creates neural pathways to where now your brain, whenever it is, um, whenever you approach anything, as I just said, you you have you have wired your brain to see the entire world in binaries is this good or is this bad? is this um you know sinful or righteous and the brain just takes over and does that for you until you realize that you have to start rewiring your brain you know and and man mm-hmm. rewiring your brain about sexuality holy cow like <laughs> that's uh that might take a lifetime to do.
1: Yeah, I think it's really, you know, you can kind of look around and see in the whole deconstruction conversation, there's a lot of, you know, places where maybe pastors are starting to notice a little more nuance or they're starting to say, you know, well, maybe maybe that's not the right way to go about things, but sexuality, I kind of feel is like a stronghold for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, They're unwilling to change their view about sex before marriage or to affirm that like, that is a decision other people get to make for themselves. They're unwilling to say that um, gay, queer, trans people have a place in their churches because to them, there's no argument about what the Bible says about (laughs) that. Although, we all know that it's not, you know, neither one of those issues are clear in the Bible. Um, Mm. The Bible isn't entirely clear about sex before marriage and the Bible is not clear about um, gay relationships, about homosexuality. I I know that's not the term that most people use anymore, but that's what evangelicals use. So my mind went there. Yeah. Right. um, (laughs) So, so yeah, the Bible is not clear on either one of those issues. Um, well, but... as if
2: the Bible is some sex handbook in the first place. Right. So, <laughs> right. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, it speaks about masturbation and pornography. Oh, wait. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh wait, it No, it
2: doesn't. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Well, so one thing that um, I've been curious about uh, is a lot of people are like, OK, I'm ready to move on from this. And then they're like, wait. I have no idea what I could possibly like teach my kids instead of purity culture, because that's all we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so obviously you have a whole platform that's about calling out purity culture and saying like, no, this is, this is not just like a theology. This is like a harmful, abusive system. Um, So I'm curious what you think through your time doing this, or what you've seen at least um, is better for people's mental health and for their sexuality and for their relationship to themselves and to the opposite gender. Like, is there is there something better, a better message we could be giving um, that would be healthier? Or are we still kind of in that phase of like looking for the next thing?
1: Well, for me, I think that you know, there's definitely um, a better way to go. That it, it's it's honestly, it's harder than saying that sex is bad Um, and, you know, don't do it before marriage. You know, that's actually a really easy thing to teach your kids because you don't have to like answer their questions. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to grapple with like difficult gray areas. Um, binary thinking is like very, it's kind of like a cop out in my opinion, because you don't have to, you know wrestle with any hard issues it's just like there's right and wrong and then that's it you know you get to check out and not not engage with any kind of like things that make you uncomfortable um but i think that you know teaching about consent and what that looks like and about honoring like your body honoring others and honoring their autonomy it's it's not a uh, an easy thing to sort of understand if you do come from a place of purity culture. Cause you know, if you're coming from that place, you may not understand that for yourself. So like, how do you teach that to someone else? So I think for like, if for parenting wise, like the best thing that you can do is probably get yourself the help that you need mm. because you can't, you know, teach other people you can't teach your kids something that you don't believe about yourself like you can't teach them that their body is good and like see a picture of yourself and say you hate the way your body looks <laughs> you know you can't teach your kids that like their sexuality is valid and then like exhibit behaviors that negate that about your own life like hmm. it even if you like your kids are 12 years old and you're like it's too late for me. I, you know, I'm figuring this out and how will I ever teach them? It's not too late. Like you, there's still time to figure out what's right for you. And then, you know, be able to give your kids a healthy view of sexuality that you didn't have Mm
0: -hmm. and, you know, set them up on a better path. But you know, what's crazy about that is it's like terrifying because like, so for me, I, uh, started I became sexually active at the age of 17 and it was just it was like 100% natural like I was ready for it and I was not coerced into it and it was a beautiful experience and like it just felt like this is where I'm at in, in my development as a human being and it was good and right but as a parent who's you know been steeped in that message of like sex before marriage is bad sex before marriage is bad it's like the worst thing your kid did, could do well that well maybe it's the second worst thing your kid could do cuz the worst thing is they could say that they're queer in some way or another <laughs> um so so then it's like well thinking about it as a parent you're like what it, like do am i actually okay with telling my kid like if you hit the age of whatever 17 if it was me and that feels good and right and natural like that's okay like that sounds terrifying for people mm-hmm. and so like how do we how do we move beyond that thinking of like sex equals bad no matter what
1: i think that um you know i think empowering people to make their own decisions especially as a parent i'm sure must be really scary (laughs) (laughs) because you want to see your kids like avoid pain you want to see them avoid things that you think are a mistake um but you know if you're teaching them to trust themselves and teaching them you know even just through like everyday things like about consent you know if they don't want to hug you, like, don't make them hug you. If they don't mm. want to, you know, if they aren't comfortable with certain kinds of physical, physical touch, you know, like honoring that and respecting that, respecting them as a whole person, even as a child, like, mm. children are not half humans, they're whole people. And, <laughs> you know, you can respect that and teach them that they can trust themselves and trust their intuition and that if they do make a mistake it's it's okay like they're not beyond you know repair or however you want to say that like they're they're still whole people deserving of love and you know I know that's maybe a like abstract way to answer that question but um I think that personally if i had been taught that like I was good no matter what happened, you know, I, I would have had a lot more respect for myself and, mm-hmm. like, felt like I could make decisions that were good for myself because I, I didn't trust myself to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't think that I, I could be trusted. Um, so, you know, moving beyond this sex is bad idea and, you know, just teaching them in a non-judgmental way about sex. Actually, you know, everyone sort of thinks that like abstinence only education um is the only answer, but abstinence only education is demonstrably ineffective. <laughs> and the opposite is actually true that um comprehensive sex ed on average, delays someone's first time having sex by about two years. So if you really are concerned with your kids being sexually active too young, um, hiding information about sex from them is not the answer.
2: Yeah, you know, I was just going to say that, that it feels like that, you know, even if you are still in that camp of saying, I don't want my kids um, to have sex before marriage, that Probably the best thing we can do is give them a holistic, comprehensive view of their own sexuality um, and and provide them the agency to decide, you know, for themselves and even with you um, in terms of like, hey, what are you thinking about this? Do you even know what this means? Do you even know what your body does? And and, and then being OK with them potentially still choosing that like, yeah, you know what, mom, I, I think I do want to you know, potentially wait until marriage. Okay, great. Well, that that's good because that was your decision. It wasn't mm-hmm. forced on you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of the same way of like, you know, getting saved or baptism. I mean, there is this very coercive, um, experience that most of us grew up in i mean i don't know that it was my decision on any level to quote become a christian um you know my because my parents are like well when are you getting baptized you know we gotta (laughs) we gotta check this off the box so you don't die in a car wreck and burn in hell forever And it's like well what if what if we stopped making our kids do what we wanted them to do and provided them with all the information um that is at our fingertips and trusted them, Blair, as you just said, as fully human beings who are in charge of their own bodies, in charge of their own mind, in charge of their own emotions, and let them, with our guidance, make their own decisions. And it might very well be that they would make the decision that we potentially wanted them to make in the first place. Uh, but wow, they actually owned it, as opposed to feeling like they've never been given the opportunity. And then as soon as they get out of the house, they're just going to be like, you know, bleep all this. I'm running in <laughs> different direction. And so, yeah, I, I love that in terms of giving them agency. Mm. All right. Well, we have just a little bit more time. Um, and I think we could talk about sex and purity culture forever, <laughs> um, especially because we've done so many episodes on this, which is fascinating. And there's always a new... Nuance to the conversation mm. but um, maybe maybe Blair can can we just kind of shift the conversation a little bit um, so much of purity culture is negative I would love to know from you um, a, a more positive spin on the future of sexuality uh, or or uh, on the future of faith so when you look kind of in the in the distance or in the future what gives you hope about one of one of these two conversations, either uh the future of faith or potentially even uh the future of of human sexuality within the church, what is what is the most hopeful thing you might see coming um to replace this uh this whole negative concept?
1: Well, I you know, it's hard for me to be hopeful sometimes, I will admit. Um
0: <laughs> I feel you it,
1: it's hard for yeah it's hard for me to look around at you know the evangelical church passing blame or not accepting their part in you know the harm that has been done. But I I want so badly to believe that they will decide they don't want to be a part of systems that cause harm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really really want to believe that that is where they're going um, and that they're going to eventually choose that they don't want to hurt people anymore um, with their teachings and these, you know, decades, centuries old, however, you know, you look at it systems that have really, really hurt people. So I, I hope that, you know, the church would have a more expansive and inclusive view of sexuality um, because, you know, there, there are a lot of, People who they came out of purity culture, they don't believe that anymore, but they really, really want to hold on to their faith and they aren't welcome in churches. And, you know, there's a lot of queer and trans people who aren't welcome in churches. They're welcome to give their tithe money and they're not welcome to participate as full You know, members of the church and serve on leadership and serve in the worship band. And I personally, even though I never want to go back to a church ever again, I think that people who make different decisions about sexuality and people, you know, queer and trans folks, have every right to participate fully in Christianity and whatever version of that they want. And I hope that that is where the church is going, you know. The church, churches used to obviously be segregated racially in this country, and you know, they are no and longer in many ways,
2: they still are, right? Yeah, in just, that's true. In practice, you know,
1: <laughs> but but it used to be, you know, much more overt segregation that's not done anymore. I hope that this is something that the church will recognize as sinful and evil that they've done to people and that they will pursue you know, reconciliation with these people that they've hurt so badly and welcome them in and mm. repent of the things that they have done.
2: Mm. Yeah. And even provide Preach. reparations. You know, what What mm. does yeah. reparation look like to an entire generation of um, LGBTQIA plus individuals who have been pushed away from faith? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how do we not only say we're sorry, but provide an equal room at the table for them, as you just said, to not to participate, to be involved, to shape the the theology and views of the church. And Mm -hmm. what have we been missing by not allowing them a voice at the table?
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Um, All right. Blair, we want to ask you some more fun questions now. Okay. If that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah. Um uh so we're just gonna ask them and don't think too hard about them. Just answer okay. with what comes to your mind first. And okay. um and they're fun, don't worry. They're not like we're <laughs> not gonna spring something on you. So all right. First question. What's a hobby or an interest that you have beyond what everyone knows you for? What's something that you do for fun just because?
1: Oh goodness. Um well, I feel like so many of my hobbies were ended because of COVID. So let me, let <laughs> me, oh gosh, this is probably not going to be a fun answer. I don't know. I like to hang out with my dogs at home. Um, that's a great answer. I, I love I it. I like yeah. gardening. I have a little garden
0: outside. So. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. What are you growing nice. this year?
1: um we have some tomatoes out there we have lettuce um we have like flowers uh we did a bunch of wildflowers in the yard so hopefully they're gonna come up soon yeah so it's not it's not huge just like a few few
0: little things Mm, but the homegrown tomatoes man oh so So good. good
2: Yeah, well, we are growing snow right now in Colorado, so <laughs> it, it seems to oh never my end. Gosh. Even even late, late into spring, early summer, it's it's not good. So, okay, Woohoo who is one of your heroes and why? Mm. And they can be alive or dead. We'll we'll take either one.
1: Hmm. Okay, a hero. Well, I really, really love Dolly Parton a lot. I just love how she's so herself and like makes fun of herself. She has kind of like a little like a funny just outlook on her life and doesn't take herself too seriously, which I really appreciate Mm -hmm. because I think we all take ourselves a little too seriously sometimes. And like she just like knows who and what she is and just like this is me and doesn't Mm -hmm. apologize for it. And I love that. Have
2: you been? Have you been to Dollywood?
1: no and i
0: want to go so bad
2: you you need to
0: (laughs) all right so i went pretty far back on your instagram feed um, (laughs) and discovered that uh we both are bachelor slash bachelorette fans yes um so i want to know who's your favorite person from the franchise and why
1: oh um well i really like i really like rachel Lindsay. um Mm. I really like, I like what, you know, Hannah Brown sort of like stood up for herself during the season. She's Mm -hmm. had some interesting experience post bachelor, but I really, really like her. (laughs) Um, Who else? There was someone I was thinking, Oh, well, I love Michelle and I'm so glad that she's going to be the bachelorette.
0: Yes. Um, She's awesome.
1: Yeah. She's amazing.
2: Well, I'm. I must say that I'm kind of glad that I don't know who any of those people are. <laughs> but but we'll we'll leave it at that. So beyond Bachelor Bachelorette, uh, what's another one of your favorite shows that you're either watching right now or binging right now?
1: Uh, right now we're watching. Um, my boyfriend and I are watching a show called um, Mr. Robot, which is oh, very interesting.
2: Yeah. That's nice. Have you wow. seen Wandavision, by the way?
1: Yeah, we did watch that too. Um, I feel like so many shows that I end up watching. It's like my boyfriend wants to watch it, and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't think that sounds like something I would want to watch. And then we start it, and I get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just such like a binge watcher of like old things, like some mm. things, I mean, I'm I feel like I'm always watching like Gilmore Girls or The Office, or just like things that are really comfortable to me, even though I've seen them a thousand times, like.
2: Yeah, I I do the exact same thing
1: For some reason I always feel like I'm not going to like new shows I'm like uh that doesn't sound like Something I would want to watch but then it Ends up being good and I'm glad I watch it but yeah
2: Yeah Um, well it's like a Commitment issue right like oh man I'm I'm (laughs) committing to this new relationship With this new show I don't think I'm going to last So I get it
0: (laughs) I don't have that problem I I love watching new shows Um, Okay last question If you could live anywhere in the world, because there was no pandemic right now, um, (laughs) where would it be and why?
1: Ooh, I would probably say I would love to live in Spain. I I, I studied there for like six months in college and it was so amazing. Where in Spain were you? Valencia.
0: Okay. I've been there. It's on the coast. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I think I only traveled through there, but I don't. I didn't stay there. Spain nice. is beautiful. Oh man, now you're making me want to travel again. Shouldn't I have know. asked that question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, well, hey Blair, this has really been fantastic. Um, I feel like we covered. A whole lot about um not only purity culture but sexuality in general and i know you have much more to offer so for anyone who wants to dig a little bit deeper into the conversation and find out even more of your thoughts and ideas uh about the about the topic where can they find you online
1: yeah so my instagram is kind of the main source of my content which is um talk purity to me and the same over on tiktok and I also have Twitter as well. Same handle across all platforms. So I'm not on Twitter quite as much, but um, yeah, TikTok and Instagram are the main ones.
0: Awesome, Perfect. And I'll make sure to link to all that in our show notes as well for anyone who wants to find them all in one place. So awesome! thank you, Blair. This has been really awesome. And I've just enjoyed hearing more about your experience and then also how you've been able to find freedom from it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Blair.
0: And that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And before you go, we'd like to ask you to consider becoming a Patreon patron of this humble little show. It may not seem like it, but it takes hours upon hours to create each episode and get them out to you each week. And whether you knew this or not, it's just me and Gary Allen with my husband Josh doing all the editing simply out of the goodness of his heart. So your contributions to the show will not only help us to continue producing quality content, it also gets you access to each show 5 days early, you get exclusive content and first dibs on merch when we finally get to that point. Every little bit helps, so head to patreon.com/holyheretics to become a patron. Thank you. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge.